every revolution starts with a spark. If you think back to, to your lessons in history and everything you know about, about history and about, about the, since the dawn of time, any time a revolution or, or a crazy change happened, it started with some sort of spark. If you know much about the story of Dr. Martin Luther King, you know that he wasn't an overnight success in bringing about the, the changes in civil rights that he's known for. You know that he spent months and months in Albany, Georgia, fighting the fight for civil rights to almost no success. He was beaten down and he was, and he was distraught. And there are, there are people who would tell you that King almost gave up because he had so little success in, in Albany. But he decided in a, in a moment that it was time to switch from Albany to, to, a, time, to a bigger place called Montgomery, Alabama. But he knew things would be different in Montgomery. It was hard in Albany, but he knew that it would be different in Montgomery. In fact, when they were preparing to leave for Montgomery, he told his, his team that he was leading, he said, I want you guys to know not all of us will leave Montgomery. He said, I fully plan that some of us will die in that town. And one of, one of the people on his team later said, uh, most of us, to be honest, didn't want to go because we knew we might not see our families again. You see, Montgomery, Alabama was, was a tinderbox, and they were afraid that Martin Luther King was going to be the spark that set off this blaze that was going to just light the, the place on fire, and it was going to be something they never could have expected, they never could have imagined, and it was going to be this fire that burned that just ate them all up. But Martin Luther King knew that they needed to go to Montgomery to fight the fight for civil rights, to start this revolution and get things where they needed to go. And they were afraid and they were scared, but they knew they had to fight. And then, the picture. Before things got too violent, before things got too crazy, an editor from the New York Times found this picture on the roll of film from one of his photographers. And across the front page, above the fold, across three columns in the New York Times on a Sunday morning, was this picture of a dog attacking a man standing peacefully. Bill Hudson took the picture that ended up on the desk of John F. Kennedy, that ended up being discussed on the Senate floor, that ended, up dis that ended up across the wire, across the country, and ended up being one of the most famous pictures of the civil rights movement and changed the trajectory of the entire civil rights movement that is credited with leading to King's fight and the charge that led to the eventual Civil Rights Act of 1964 and changed everything. All because of a picture. All because King went to Alabama. All because the New York Times followed. All because of a picture. You see, the revolutions are won, not in grand battles, but in the spark that starts the fight.
in the spark that gets it going. This is a story that Malcolm Gladwell tells at the beginning of the book, David and Goliath. It's one of the, my favorite books that I've read probably in the last five years. And, and we're going we're gonna to be looking together at the story of David and Goliath. And Malcolm Gladwell has uh, uh, kind of helped us kind of shape the way we view that story. And, and it's a really fascinating read. But I, I love it because for me, the story of David and Goliath became passé. It became passe because at our house, we play pretend David and Goliath all the time. Like, it's Abel's favorite story because the giant gets knocked down. It's, it's Abel's favorite story because it's, because it's a fun story to act out. It's Abel's favorite story. And so it became this story. I'm like, yeah, this little kid, slingshot, Goliath, boom, I fall down. Abel's, yay. You know, like, it's, it happens. And so David and Goliath, for me, is like, was this thing that I was like, yeah, whatever. But then I read through the book, and I started thinking about the the true weight of the story of David and Goliath and the gravity of that story. And I started to realize how important the story of David and Goliath is to you and to me. Because here's the deal for you and me. You see, we are collectively fighting this fight. We're collectively fighting this fight of good versus evil. Uh, If we're followers of Jesus, we're on the side of good um, whether you want to be or not, and we're on the side of good. But each of us individually is fighting a, a giant on our own. Over here on this wall, um, we built an eight-foot wall, and peeking over the wall is how tall Goliath really was. We believe he was somewhere between nine foot three and nine foot ten, depending on how you translate it and how you ask. But there was a literal giant named Goliath who was fought and who was nine feet tall, and a man and a boy named David killed him. But it's become this story that became so famous and is so famous that sportscasters use it and that other people use it and that it just kind of becomes this passe thing and this, and this term that we use and we just throw around that we forget how important this story was and how true this story can ring in our life. Because the gravity of the story of David and Goliath weighs on our hearts. You see, the way that Goliath fought in wars was pretty simple. He was a Philistine, and the way the tribe, from the, his tribe, the Philistines, fought wars was they'd line up and they'd camp, and Goliath, the nine-foot, ten-inch tall giant, would come forward. And with his 15-pound spear and his 125-pound shield, he'd say, here's how we do this. Do any of you want to take on me one-on-one? He'd say, you win, you win the war. I win, we win the war. And so this this giant, nine-foot, ten-inch giant would stand in front of everyone and just challenge the manhood of every soldier and say, none of you can take me one-on-one. And you know that feeling because your giant isn't nine foot ten inches, but he might as well be. 
Because you're giant of anxiety, you're giant of depression, you're, you're giant of, of, of health, you're giant of that diagnosis the doctor gave you, you're giant of unemployment, you're, you're giant of the job that you hate, you're giant of the marriage that's struggling, whatever your giant is that you're fighting, you're giant of financial money management struggles, whatever that giant is, is standing in front of you saying, you're not man enough to fight me, and you're going... Ah, probably not. And so you find yourself waiting, hoping, in need of that victory. The story of David and Goliath takes place after David's nation, Israel, has been challenged by the Philistines for 40 days. 40 straight days, Goliath wakes up walks out of his extra-sized tent, stands up in front of his people and says, all right, anybody want to fight me today? And the people say, no, I don't, I can't, I won't. But David's the one who finally decides. You see, here's the thing, and this is, this is important for you, is that your giant will grow, and your giant will grow and grow and grow, and your giant will get bigger and it will loom larger, and the story of your giant will get monumental until the day that you decide to fight him. Over the next couple of weeks, um, I have some, some friends who are going to help me talk, talk through how to, how to fight giants in our lives. And I, I love, I, you might know these friends, there's Stacy and Casey, um, Cluxton is their original name, Stacy Michael and Casey Massey are their, their married names. They were twins who uh, uh, battled some giants in their lives, and uh, I'll give you the, the end of the story. They, they've come out on the other side. But in high school, they, they, were in, they had an eating disorder, and, and they had to fight through what, what that looks like in their lives and what it, what it became. And, I, and here's the spoiler, they they're now healthy, happy mamas who have, who have babies of their own and, and who are registered dietitians and nutritionists and, and who, who love their life and who are helping people fight battles like this on their own. So every week we're going to have a short video from them talking about what it looks like to, to slay those giants in your own life. So I, here's, here's part one of Casey and Stacy helping us talk about what it looks like to slay those giants. Yeah. 
I loved getting to talk with Casey and Stacy about their story, and you'll hear more in the next couple weeks about, about their decision to, to slay their giant and, and, and all of that that comes with it and, and how you can make those decisions yourself. But the most important part of their story, I think, comes from, from that night when they're on the computer and they realize we have a problem. Because I, I think for, for each of us, the moment comes when we see that in our lives we have a giant and we have to make the decision to fight. We have to make the decision to say, I have this giant in my life. You see, the key to slaying a giant is deciding to fight your giant. Like, you can't just say, I have, I have this giant, this thing in my life, and, and I'm, it's just, it is what it is. There's no moment in time that it's going to go away magically. The only thing you can do is you can say, God, I have this in it, and I know that with your power and with your strength, I know that together we we can defeat this, right? I mean, you heard that throughout their story, and you're going to hear it throughout this story here in just a moment as you hear the story. If you want to open your Bible with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and the story of David and Goliath, listen to the description of Goliath. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span, nine feet, ten inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, 125 pounds of armor. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds, and his shield-bearer went ahead of him. This is, this is your giant, is a giant that everyone else can look at and say, this is something that is too big to fight. This is, this is huge. This is impenetrable. This is unbeatable. This is unstoppable. This is too big to fight. And the rest of the Israelite army The toughest of the tough, the manliest of the men of Israel had seen this dude for 40 days. And check out what they think in verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were terrified and dismayed. Now, I don't know. If you're a guy, you know this. If you're a woman, you've probably seen this. When you get groups of guys together, there's always some unspoken competition about who's tougher or stronger, right? Like you've heard about the, if you smell something bad, you always have to try and get every other guy to smell it kind of thing, you know, like smell that so that everybody knows that you weren't the only one who wouldn't smell it. Like there's always like this unspoken, no, okay, your, your friends aren't as tough as mine, that's fine. You're just not as manly as me, it's cool. Um, and see, now all the guys are like tougher than you. What are you talking about? But this, so, so when an entire group of guys is terrified of something, that matters. That speaks volumes to how terrifying this was. That an entire army, is every time he speaks, they're all going, not me. I can't do it. I'm not going. I won't be the one. And this is what you need to know, is that your giant may intimidate everyone else, but you have to decide it won't intimidate you anymore. 
And I know, I know that's tough talk. Like, I know that's, that's big talk. But, but I'm not saying, like, you have to defeat it tomorrow. I'm just saying you have to say, you know what? Today, I'm not letting this thing win. I don't know how. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that I'm going to make a decision that that thing can't stare me down anymore. But for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. And just think that through. Think through a month and a half of hearing the same challenge from the same guy every day and thinking, not me. I can't do it. But every day, twice a day being reminded. And you're like, you know what? My giant reminds me 15 times a day that I can't beat it. Every time I pull up my bank statement, my giant reminds me that I can't manage my money. Every time I pull into work, my giant reminds me that I'll never be as good, good enough for my boss. Every time I pull into the house, my giant reminds me that I'm alone in my, in my home. Every time, I, every time my kid doesn't call, my giant reminds me that I'm alone. Whatever it is, you know this feeling of knowing. But what happens to so many of us is that we've come to be comfortable with our giant. You see, the reason that we, we've decided to, to build Goliath more as a wall than as a person it's because as a person, he turns a little cartoonish. But as a wall, he represents our, our giant. And what happens when he's a wall is you just kind of rest against him. And you can't go any further. You can't go past him. You can't go around him. You can't go through him. You just kind of get to him and you go, eh, this is as far as I go. This is it for me. And what happens is, is you've got a good life. Things are okay. They could be better if you could get around this wall, but they're good. And so you just sit next to the wall and you think, maybe someday it'll fall. Maybe someday it'll, it'll go down. But 40 days is such a long time for the Israelites to be at war at this battle that shouldn't have taken very long that um, some people start to get worried. One of those people who gets worried is a father who has six to seven sons at the battle, a man named Jesse, who sends his youngest son, David. And he sends his youngest son, David, to check on his brothers. And he sends some food and some supplies. They've been at battle longer than they should have. And when he sends his youngest son, David, he sends him with the intention of saying, hey, deliver these supplies. Make sure your brothers are okay. I'm a little worried. They've been gone longer than they should. And, and then come back and let me know. Like, I don't understand what's happening. And when David gets to the battlefront, he sees Goliath. And I don't know if it's the morning or the evening taunt. And there's the nine-foot-tall guy with the ten-foot-long spear. And he's saying, who will fight me? Come on, let's settle this like men. And David's standing amongst his brothers, and they're, they're gathering the supplies that their dad sent. And, and David says, I, I don't understand. Why are we afraid of this guy? Why, why, aren't, why aren't you fighting him? Why has no one stepped forward? But then when Eliab, David's oldest brother, 
heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave these few sheep in the wilderness? Because David's a shepherd. You should be with your sheep. You're a shepherd. Get out of here. You have no business being amongst these people. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Because you see, this is, this is what happens. As David comes down and, and he's like, hey, hold on. Why is no one fighting this guy? I, I think we could do this. And then other people hear your plan and they're going to go, uh-uh. No one ever beats that. No one ever gets over that. Everyone in the country has money problems. Everybody hates their job. Everybody goes through loneliness. Everybody X, Y, Z. Whatever it is, whatever your giant might be, everybody has anxiety. Nobody needs to see a counselor. Everybody gets sad in the winter. You don't need to take medicine. That's what other people will say. That's what doubters might say, but they don't realize the giant that sits in front of you and the one that you say, you know what, I don't have to be everybody because this wasn't the plan that God had for me. And this is the lesson that David teaches us about fighting our giants is that we don't let other people's doubt drive our decision. Because Eliab, the brother, he was like, you're just a shepherd. What are you doing here? And David was like, what does that matter? You guys have been sitting here for 40 days eating cheese while this guy taunts you. And David's like, why has no one fought him? And there's this, this battle that rages. I encourage you, this, this month as we go through Slay Goliath together, you should go and read all of 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll, we'll read most of it at some point together. But read the whole thing because there's this battle that rages where these guys all say, no one's tough enough to do it. And David says, I'm tough enough. And his brothers say, no, you're not. And it's the story of, of you and me. It's the story where, where we see what can happen in front of us and we say, I, I can do this. And people have said, no, you can't. Look at this. King Saul, the king, looks at him and says, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been a warrior since he was a youth. But there's something that happens. And there's something that happens in this story that we cannot let slip by. That despite what everyone else says, despite the monumental odds, at this point we, we don't know for sure, David's at least under 19 because he would have been at war if he was over 19 years old. So he's at least under 19, so he's probably more like 15 to 18. David, as a kid, says, I don't care what everyone else says. I don't care what everybody's doing. I don't care what the norm is. I'm not letting that giant defeat me again. I'm not letting that giant stand in my way. I don't care how long this has been regular. I don't care how long this has been the norm. I'm not letting that giant win. I'm not letting him And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more about, about this because what happens is when we talk about David and Goliath, we say, well, David then went to the river and he took five smooth stones and he slung the stone and beat Goliath. And you can go beat Goliath today, but 
There's, there's more to it. You see, David makes the decision. And then he comes at Goliath with a strategy Goliath has never seen. Next week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to have a strategy that you've never tried to change strategy like you've never seen before. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about the belief to believe that you can beat the giant in your life. Because David didn't think that David could beat Goliath. David knew that God could defeat Goliath. But David knew that with a change in strategy and God behind it, he could beat Goliath. But here's what's most important. David knew that someone had to decide to beat Goliath. And David said, I'll be the one who makes that decision. And so here's what that means for you. That means that the giant that stands in your way the anxiety, the depression, the health, the, the diagnosis, the money issues, the, the, the depression, the unemployment, the loneliness, the, the marriage struggle, the school stress, whatever that giant is for you, you're the one who makes the decision to defeat the giant. You're the one who stands up and says, God Together, we will slay this Goliath. Because when you look at the picture of Walter Gadsden, at first you think he's an innocent 17-year-old kid getting attacked by a dog. But Walter Gadsden is no martyr. Look at the picture more closely. Go home today and look it up online. If you look at Walter Gadsden's left hand, Walter Gadsden is bracing himself with the police officer's arm. And if you look at Walter Gadsden's left leg, Walter Gadsden is pulling his left leg up in the air because Walter Gadsden is about to kick the dog in the teeth. Because Walter Gadsden is no martyr. Because Walter Gadsden knows that these police are under the order of a man named Bull Connor here to attack the peaceful African-American protesters who are here to stand for civil rights. And as the legend goes, Walter Gadsden broke the jaw of Leo the dog that day. And as the legend goes, Bull Connor had ordered the policemen to do whatever it took to get those boys off the street. But Walter Gadsden knew that Martin Luther King was in town. And Walter Gadsden knew that it was time for a change in, Mo in, in Montgomery, Alabama. And so rather than sit there and say, we'll never beat this Goliath, rather than sit there and say, things will always be the same, he said, today's the day we stand up and fight this Goliath. And he stood and he said, I won't put up with that anymore. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand and say, I'm not letting my giant win anymore. Over the next couple of minutes, we uh, want to invite you to, to walk around. Um, there's communion for you.
And uh, while you're taking communion, there's a table in the front, there's a table in the back. Uh, I want you to do these two things. The first is to, you can do this in either order, but the first is to take the bread and to take the cup. And when you take the bread and you take the cup, remind yourself that the ultimate giant, the battle of good versus evil has been won. That the battle of good versus evil has been won by the Jesus who went to the cross for you and for me. And that Jesus defeated death forever. So that any other giant seems trivial in comparison to the giant of death. And take that, you can take it back to your seat. You can do that however you please. You'll have, you'll have all the time you need. But the second thing I want you to do is up here we have a, a bunch of Sharpies. And we have a wall that represents all of our giants. On this wall, we've already tried to, to make some paint and, and put some, write some on there so that you didn't feel too exposed. But I want you to take a Sharpie and take a moment to write your giant. You can write it out just in plain English. You can write it in another language. You can write it uh, backwards or forwards. You can write letters on top of each other. To, you can draw a picture. What I want to challenge you to do, though, is, is a couple things. Number one, I, I want to challenge you to do it. I want to challenge you today to name your giant because you know what it is. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is to remember where your giant is because by the end of this, we're going to kill your giant. So we're going to play, the music's going to play, and you're going to have some time. You don't need to rush. You don't need to wait in line. But as you think and pray through this, I want to challenge you to, to start preparing to make the decision today and name your giant on this wall and say, today I kill my giant.